mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for the ability to worship through song this morning. And I pray, dear Father, that again, everything that we do would bring glory and honor to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was uh, working on this sermon, and I began to think about in the context of Matthew chapter 21 and where Jesus is in this. This is the last week of, of Jesus' life, the Passion Week. And I began to think about all of the, up to this point, all of the many things that the disciples had been a part of. And I, I began to think, how many of you can remember field trips when you were in school? How, how many... I don't remember us going on a lot of field trips when I was in school. Maybe they went and they just didn't tell me. But um, I don't remember a lot of field trips when I was in school. But my children, uh, since they were in school, they went on a lot of field trips. And I can tell you I went on a lot of field trips with them. And I, I can tell you that if you've been to one zoo, you've been to all zoos because they all smell. And I can tell you that if you ever go with one of the children from Piedmont or Spring Garden, if you go on the trip to Washington, D.C., you better be in shape before you get on that bus to go, because it is a marathon. Uh, but it was a wonderful trip. And I remember thinking about as, as they would go, as we would go on these field trips, and I would go with my children, that they were wonderful object lessons of things that they had been learning about in school, learning about in the classroom. And then they were taken out somewhere to observe uh, places where these things really happened, maybe historical places or things that they'd studied. And, and they were just really good object lessons for what the children had been learning there in school. I got to thinking about the disciples, those 12 men who walked with Jesus throughout his ministry, and thinking about um, in the context of the field trips that they went on with Jesus every day. And the things that he taught them and the words that he would share with them and how he would re-emphasize those things through the things in nature around them or through the things of the people that they would encounter, Jesus would always reinforce his teaching with something visible for them to see. And the story that we have this morning is, is no different than any of these uh, things that Jesus has done. In this last week of Jesus' life here, his daily routine consisted of traveling. He would make two daily trips. In the evenings, he would walk from Jerusalem to Bethany to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then in the evenings, then in the morning, he would get up and he would walk from Bethany back to Jerusalem and he would spend the day teaching there in the city. Now, this journey from Bethany to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem back to Bethany would take him in a direct line through the Mount of Olives. And as Jesus and his disciples would go, the Mount of Olives is on, on, it's kind of like a saddle. On, on two ends, it is, is really high, and in the middle, there's a ridge there that most people would travel through to avoid the high terrains that would be so physically hard on them. So they would travel through this ridge on the Mount of Olives. Now, it's important this morning to know that is the way that they traveled because Jesus is going to use a couple of places as object lessons to the disciples. 
And by knowing the route that he went, we can know what was in view of the disciples as Jesus began to teach them about prayer. And it'll help us to know what mountain and sea that Jesus is describing here. Now, there are some significant surroundings. Jesus talks about a mountain and a sea in these four verses that we look at this morning, but he is not being so general. When he says mountain and sea, his disciples are standing in a place to where they can see specific mountains and a specific sea. So he's being very specific in what he says to him them in, in the text. In plain view from the Mountain of Olives is a mountain palace that was constructed by Herod the Great. It was known as the Herodium. The Herodium is seven and a half miles from Jerusalem. It was so large that it was visible even at that distance from Jerusalem. It's still visible today and is actually a national park called the Herodian National Park. It's so big, um, that's it there in the distance and, and a view that might have been the view of the disciples. Now on top of that mountain there, that cylinder looking mountain, there's a great, there are remains of a great palace that stood eight stories above that mountaintop. And this, as the disciples are walking and back and forth from Bethany to Jerusalem, they would see this mountain on every trip. There are a lot of mountains in view, but there were none as distinctive in appearance as this mountain was. The round shape and the high architecture were unmistakable to the disciples. Herod, when he built this structure, he wanted it to stand out there and for everyone in Palestine to be able to see this great palace that he was building. He had the whole terrain built in the shape of a, uh, in a volcanic shape there, and it was unusual in, in all of the uh, Roman Empire. And as I said, at its highest point, there was, a, there was a palace that stood another eight stories on top of it. Now, what's key to this is that the Herodium is the only mountain within their view that had actually ever been moved. Great parts of the Herodium had been moved in order to build this palace that Herod had built. He had the builders remove part of the mountain next to the Herodium to create that slope that you see, and it, he wanted it to be one of the most unique structures in all of the Roman Empire. So this was what was in view of the disciples as Jesus is teaching them. And then we see that there's only one inland body of water in view from where Jesus is teaching, and that's the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is located east of the Herodium. Now, it's called the Dead Sea because all the high chemical content in the sea causes it to be lifeless. There is no aquatic life or no plant life that is there in the, in the Dead Sea. Writings from the Jewish rabbis said they told the people that any time that they found a utensil with a pagan figure on it or any wood that was associated with pagan worship, they should take it and they should throw it in the Dead Sea. Now, all 12 of the disciples that Jesus is talking to are aware that part of the mountain terrain of the Herodium had been moved into the Dead Sea as it was being built. Now, we look and we see those significant surroundings, and now we come to the heart of the text and what Jesus begins to teach his disciples. 
we see him as he, uh, in, in one of the verses here, I believe it's in verse number uh, 21, uh, uh, beginning back in, look back up, it says, when, as he was traveling, he became hungry. He saw a fig tree on the way, and when he went to it, he saw a lot of leaves on that fig tree, but when he pulled those leaves back on that fig tree, he found no fruit inside. And so he cursed that fig tree and said it would never have fruit on it again. Now, as I was studying these scriptures and I was looking at this, there were two questions that people asked about Jesus in this context. One of those questions was this. How could a good man curse an innocent fig tree? And another question was this. If Jesus is all-knowing, if he's omniscient, why did he expect figs when it was not summer and it was not fig season? First of all, Jesus, in, in, in this con where he is here, we have to remember that he is God the Son and that he has complete authority over his creation. The scriptures tell us in John that all things were created by him and for him. And he has the sovereign right to do with it whatever he wills. It was created for his desire, and he has the right to do with it whatever he wants to do. Now, in the springtime, as Jesus is coming through here, the fig trees begin to blossom, and they have a... A, a, a blossom there that is known as a task. It's an Arabic word. That, I mean, what that means is, is that it is a fig, it's a fig, and it has a lot of beautiful leaves around it, and it looks very lush, and in the middle of that fig is a very, in the middle of all that is a very small, immature fig that is, that the people would eat. Now, as Jesus begins to pull apart the leaves, what does he expect there to be there in the middle of that? He expects there to be a fig. He expects there to be fruit there in the middle of what he does. And as he pulls that apart, it's wonderful to remember this. Right here in these verses, we have the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We have, we have here the proof that he was man because the scriptures tell us that he was what? He was hungry. Every one of us will get experience the feeling of hunger today. I, I had breakfast this morning. I can't rem really remember what it was. I, I did, it was a honey bun, and it's just about gone. And here in just a little bit, uh, while I'm sitting here, I, you know, I'm thinking about what am I going to have for lunch, and right now I'm thinking about the house, and it'll probably be peanut butter and jelly with what we have left there. But Jesus... So the scriptures show us here, and we should appreciate this, that the scriptures show us that Jesus had human feelings just like us. He experienced hunger. He experienced grief. He experienced sadness. He experienced love. He experienced joy. Everything that you and I experience, Jesus experienced, and he knows. But the scriptures also show us that Jesus is God completely at this point because he has the authority over this fig tree to curse it and to say, you'll never bear fruit again. But Jesus pulls back the leaves here, and he's expecting fruit, and he finds none. The appearance here is very deceiving. And what he's trying to teach the disciples here, he's trying to give them an object lesson here 
to relate to what they see around them, and we can relate it to our modern religion and a modern church that we see, there is a great deal of appearance of godliness, but as you peel back the fruit, as you peel back the leaves and you peel back all that, you get to the middle of it, and in a lot of times, there's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there. There's a great appearance. Paul told Timothy in his writing that there would become a day where there would be an appearance of godliness, but lacking the power thereof. And Jesus here, as he pulls back these leaves, and as these disciples around him see that in the middle there is nothing, Jesus begins to teach them an object lesson here on hypocrisy. He curses the fig tree in context of his teaching here in hypocrisy. If you'll go back later this afternoon and take chapter 21, Jesus goes through a lot of great uh, teaching here and a lot of great demonstration in his dissatisfaction with the hypocrisy of the religious establishment there in Jerusalem. In, in verses 12 and 13 before here, we see that Jesus had cast out temple merchants who were exploiting others while claiming to serve God. He went into the temple and he cleansed it of these people who were making a fortune, selling uh, the sacrifices and taking advantage of the people who were coming there uh, to, 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 to worship. In verses 23 through 27, he has to deal with the Pharisees and the religious authorities who will not recognize that John the Baptist's authority came from God and not from man. And then in chapter in verses 28 through 32, he tells a parable that condemns those that pledge service but then do nothing to back it up. And as Jesus tears open these leaves and that fruit there in the middle, there's, there's nothing there. The disciples have to remember the Old Testament teachings that, that constantly describe the covenant-breaking nation of Israel as a barren fig tree. And I wonder, and, and as we live today, as the Lord looks and, and he sees what goes on in the world today, how many times he sees these beautiful, elaborate, wonderful structures and beautiful, elaborate, polished people who appear to be holy and righteous, but as he can peel back those leaves, there's no substance in them. And so this curse here is a foreshadowing of what is going to happen to those hypocrites in Israel, those who, like the fig tree, have those leaves and the promise of fruit, but they fail to deliver on what they say. But the most important thing here is how Jesus changes the disciples' focus. Now, the 12 are amazed. They are looking at this, what Jesus has done. Jesus has cursed this fig tree. And, and the scriptures tell us here in Matthew that immediately the, the, the fig tree is cursed. It withers and it can't give fruit again. And these 12 men in their travel there, they are, they are fixated on this, and they've watched Jesus' words come true, but Christ doesn't focus here on the fig tree the way that they're focused on it. He doesn't continue to focus on the lesson that he's teaching them about the people in Jerusalem and their hypocrisy. He begins to teach them this very important lesson that if they pray in faith, 
they can accomplish things that are much greater than what has been accomplished here. Now, Jesus didn't, didn't just choose the Herodium because it was easy to see. Jesus chose the Herodium as he said this mountain, and they're looking there, and they see this great structure that Herod the Great has built, and they see this great palace there, and they see all the elaborate architecture there. He doesn't just tell them to look at that mountain because they can see it. He tells them to look at that mountain and to look at that structure because he knows that they understand that it represents everything that the disciples dislike about Palestine and where they live. Now, if, I, if you've been on uh, trips before, I was, I was asking Patty Clemens earlier what trips they were going on this summer because I live vicariously through the Clemens family because they take these great vacations all across America and I, I, I look at their pictures and, and, and I learn from them and it don't cost me nothing. But she said they weren't, they, they, they weren't taking many trips this summer so I guess I'll have to look at the rest of y'all go to the beach. But think about some of the places where you've been. And think about the images. If I, if I, if, if I say something about the, the Jefferson Memorial, or if I say something about the Lincoln Memorial, those of you who have been there, you can remember those images. You can get that image in your mind. And you can think about what that image said to you there as you were in front of it and you were looking at the history behind it. And the positive feeling that you had about this great structure and what it represented. Some of you have, have been to other places out of the country, and if I said something about some of the wonderful places that you've been, it would bring back pleasant memories and fond remembrances of things that you've been to and places that you've seen. I can remember my family. I've told some of y'all this story before. We were going to Disney World one summer, and I just acted plum ugly about it. I was mad because we were going. I didn't want to go. I thought it was a great waste of money, and I thought it was the biggest waste of time that I'd ever be a part of. And, and, and I just I acted ugly from the time I was told we were going to the time while we were driving. And then there was this point where I was standing on Main Street, USA. I'm looking at the castle that night, and all of a sudden there's this great firework display. And I look at my family, and we're all mesmerized by it. And we're all looking, and I can still to this day Think, I, I thought to myself, they could film a Disney commercial right here with us. Because if they had known how ugly I was acting on the way down here and how mean I was about us having to come, and there I was, all of a sudden Mickey Mouse had me captured by some fireworks in, the, in a castle. But every time that I see some of y'all go to Disney and I see that in the background, it brings back that great feeling and that wonderful memory that I had of that time in my life. Now, when Jesus says this to these disciples, and they have to look at that mountain, and they have to look at that palace, Jesus knows what it's going to bring up inside of them. It's going to bring up an anger, and it's going to bring up a dissatisfaction with life. Because these disciples know that their tax money that they were overtaxed with, and that it was a burden on them, their money that they gave to the Roman government, some of that money went to build this great structure that Herod the Great had put in place there. And they knew 
that it was on the burden of their backs and the burden of the people in Palestine. And they knew that it was a constant reminder every time they looked at that mountain and they saw that great palace up there, it brought into their mind and their memory that every moment of their life, they were under the thumb of Rome and that they were subject to a foreign invading army and that they had no choice in the matter. And they felt like peasants as they looked up to there and they saw the elaborate swimming pool that they could see from where they were and they saw the privileged few from the Roman Empire who were able to swim there in that pool. And as they looked and they saw uh, the great gardens that surrounded it, the beautiful lush gardens, and they knew that they would never be allowed to go there, but they would have to watch those people who could. And then they saw the great marble structure, 22 steps of solid marble that the people would go up to at the top of the palace, and they could see those people. And those disciples, as they looked at that mount and they saw that, it it so it showed them and they had to think about everything that was wrong in their society so jesus pointed this out to them because he knew these things but the disciples here are marveling at the withering of a fig tree their mind and their eyes are still on this on this miracle that jesus has just done has just performed here and they're, they're fixated on it. They're looking at it, and they don't see all the things that Jesus has for them to see. And Jesus realizes as they're looking at that, and as they can't do anything but, but see that fig, that withered fig, he realizes that there's a problem with their prayer life. And at that moment, he lifts their eyes up, and he lifts their heads up, and he tells them these words written in red here. He says, truth thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. Jesus takes them all of a sudden, and he says, stop looking at this, this thing and raise your head up and look at what's really important and what I really, the, the big thing that really matters. He's telling them, if you will pray in faith, you can accomplish so much more than causing a fig tree to wither. You could ask, he's saying to the disciples, you could ask that this Herodium, this Herodium that, that represents everything that goes against the teaching of God, this Herodium where they come and they worship false gods, this Herodium where these people come and, and they worship Caesar, this Herodium where they ignore the God Almighty, Jehovah, who is their creator, you can take this Herodium and you can say to it, be moved and have it put in the Dead Sea with all the other pagan objects that have been thrown there, and it would happen. You see, Jesus is saying to them, you can stand here all day and you can look at this fig tree and you can be mesmerized by it, and you can be caught up in this event and you can miss the point and you can miss the, the, the opportunity that you have to do something much greater than what you see. Now, how does that apply to us and how, does that, how should that affect our prayer life? 
How many of you get mesmerized by the fig trees in your life? How many of you get fixated on the small things in your life? How many of you get, get just, you get so caught up in things that just grab you and hold on to you for a matter of time that you ought not give it? I'll raise my hand. I'm one of them. Oh, I can, get, uh, uh, I can get so caught up in things that don't matter sometimes. I, I can, um, I, those of you who know me know that, I, that I, I'm a current events person. I love to know what's going on. The, um, someone called me on Friday, a friend of mine called me on Friday, and they said, I've been traveling, I've been gone for a couple of weeks. Catch me up on what's going on in the world. Because they knew that I knew what was going on in the world. This morning, I've, I've, before, before all of you were up, I'd already looked at a newspaper from Jerusalem. I've looked at you know, what's going on in the world. I know, that, I know that there's been 1,500 aftershocks after the earthquake the other night. That's easy for me to get fixated on those things and miss the, miss the important things. Because remember what we talked about last week? What Jesus said? If we would seek what? If we would seek first what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I gave, I gave a great deal of time this morning to Scripture. I gave a great deal, of morning, great deal of time this morning to prayer. But sometimes I get so fixated on those things, and I get so caught up in those things, and I get so caught up in whose who's, who's side I'm on and, and what's right and what's wrong that I miss the big point that God has something special for all of us to do, and sometimes we miss it because we get fixated on the fig tree. Because here's what I know. Here's what I know about my life, and here's what I know what's true about your life. There are great mountains in our lives that we need moved. There are great mountains in our lives that we need moved from where they are into the sea, into God's sea of forgetfulness. There are mountains in my life right now that the devil wants me to be distracted from and looking at other things and, and, and my focus and my attention to be on other things rather than this great mountain that's hindering me, this great obstacle that's keeping me from living out the plan that God has for my life. And I can tell you from, from personal experience, when my mind gets off the things of this world and my mind is, is focused on God the way it should be, there's no mountain that I've seen yet that God couldn't take and move into the sea. There's, there's nothing that I've encountered personally in my life that God couldn't move. See, I'll, as a kid, when I would hear this verse and I would hear somebody read this verse, I would think about Duggar Mountain. And I'd, I'd think physically about God taking Duggar Mountain up and putting it in Weiss Lake. That's how I equated it. But really, that's not, that's not it. The mountains are those things in our lives. Just like, this, just like this Herodium was so disgusting and distasteful to the disciples, there are sins, there are mountains of sins in our lives. There are mountains of worries in our lives. There are mountains of distractions in our lives. That God is saying, if you would just lift your eyes up to the important and, and take and pray in faith and pray in earnest and pray and give the time to prayer that you should, I will, if you pray in faith, I will take that mountain and I will put it in the sea. 
That's true for me, it's true for you, it's true for anybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ. It sounds real simple, doesn't it? But how many of us are practicing it? We look at this world and we see the great things in this world and we think if only I could do this or if only I could do that. And Jesus all the time is wanting us to lift our eyes up from the fig trees to the mountain and to look at these mountains in our lives and to think differently about prayer than what we have before and to pray and to ask God to take these things and move them out of our lives and put us where we should be. This morning, I, my challenge to you this week is to look at the mountain. Is to take your focus off the things of the world that, that, that are hindering you from looking at the mountain and get your eyes on that mountain and begin to, to pray in earnest and begin to ask God and to begin to pray believing because God said if we would pray in believing and praying in believing is this, praying that God's will will be done with this mountain. And when we pray that way, you'll begin to see that mountain begin to move into the sea where it should be. What a great object lesson Jesus gave these disciples there. Here in this last week of his physical life here on this earth, the last week before he went to a cross, what a wonderful lesson he gave them. And we, you know what's even more wonderful is that it's written down for you and I to grow from and to learn from. And if we leave here today and we don't take that lesson and apply it to our hearts, then we've really missed something great. I want to ask Jeff to come this morning. I want him to lead us in a time of invitation. I want him to lead us in a time of worship and reflection. And this morning, I want you to think about what is it in your life that God needs to move? What is it in your life that, is, that, that you are so focused on this morning that you're not seeing the important thing that God wants you to pray about? And that God wants you to focus on. For some of you here this morning, it may be that this is, you've heard the, uh, the preaching and you've heard the teaching of Jesus this morning. And it's sparked in your heart that you know that you can't pray that prayer because you don't know the forgiveness of your sins through a relationship with Jesus. This morning would be a great place for you to pray that mountain moving prayer and ask God to forgive you of your sins and for you to know that you have eternal life with him. Maybe you, are, you have been saved for a while and you have struggled with baptism. Now would be a good time for you to let the church know that you want to follow Jesus in believer's baptism. Maybe as I've talked this morning and, and, and shared God's word with you, you've thought about things in your life that you need to pray and focus on and move that mountain into the sea. Would you pray about those things this morning? The altars are open. You can pray where you are. But please use this time wisely as we worship and pray together. Would you stand, Father? Help us this